and welcome to episode 36 of The Postcast. My name is Sean Fairholm, and I'm here with Cassie Stein. We have a great guest for you today as we welcome on Susie Whaley, the Vice President of the PGA of America and the first woman ever elected as an officer of the association. And in 2018, she will be the first female president of the PGA of America. Very exciting times. Her leadership role really reflects a growing focus on developing women's golf and golf overall and embracing diversity in the game. And we're going to be talking about all those topics right now. So listen into our interview with Susie Whaley. And now we welcome on Vice President of the PGA of America, Susie Whaley. Susie, how is everything going today? Everything's fantastic. Thanks for asking. It's uh, unseasonably warm in New England, so teaching has been delightful. <laughs> I was just up in Connecticut this past weekend in mid seventies. Pretty nice for October. I mean, it's eighty-one today. Ooh, wow! Wow! So yeah. it's just crazy. The one thing I'm missing is the change of seasons in the trees because <laughs> none of the leaves have really started yet. And uh, I think all of us are kind of missing that, but nobody is missing wearing hats and gloves and headbands. I, I hear you on that. I'm up in Buffalo, New York, so I am the exact same way. Oh, my gosh. I grew up in Syracuse. You are worse than us. <laughs> Syracuse is cold enough. Buffalo is brutal. Yes, just a little bit. Yes. But I love to ski, so you have the positives there as well. Oh, nice. Very nice. Well, thanks for doing this and coming on. We're, we're so excited to have you on and talk a little bit about the, the state of women's golf and kind of some of the things that we're going to do to improve it. Um, let's kind of start with maybe a, a state of the union kind of on the women's game in terms of, you know, where we were, where we are, and kind of where we can realistically hope to be in terms of participation numbers and, and kind of growth overall. Yeah, so county participation numbers, you know, women's golf has, has always never been as high as we'd like it to be. And certainly, um, coming speaking as a female golf professional, I always look to it for it to be incredibly good and better than it is. But the good news is we are growing in the women's space. We have programs that are helping us do this. We're working very hard, our PGA professionals across the country and the LPGA teaching and club professionals, to really showcase the value that golf offers for families, for women, for executives that are female. Um, and, and we're doing a much better job of getting that communication out there. We have currently about 24% of all those that play the game are women. And that includes people who go to driving ranges, maybe even a top golf, have taken a lesson, or are core golfers. And certainly, we want to grow that number uh, in the coming years and, and do a better job of really showcasing what golf offers to all women. PGA Junior League has been tremendously successful, especially in the last couple of, couple of years here with the participation numbers booming. Is there any evidence that these kids are going to be playing the game outside of the PGA League and will remain long-term golfers, or is that something we will have to wait and see in the future? You know, we're in our fifth year of PGA Junior League. It's probably one of my favorite things that I do as a PGA professional. I've had a team since inception. I've had three teams go to the national championship. And what I can tell you is beyond those that play the game at that age at a very high level, PGA Junior League is for 13 and under. And certainly there are boys and girls starting the game through PGA Junior League, and there are boys and girls that are already avid golfers in PGA Junior League. And I think the benefit of that is that mentorship component, the leadership component that those skilled children have to offer to those that are just learning the game. So you may have a boy or a girl who plays two or three other sports. Uh, their first sport may be something other than golf that are learning the game with their peers. It's fun. It's friendly. It's a team atmosphere. 
where they don't have to worry about each individual shot being great. Uh, they can just flat miss it and their partner can hit a great one. So we are encouraged uh, by the numbers that we see in junior league. We had close to 45,000 participating in 2017, which is really exciting. 25% of those are girls, which again, that's more girl players in junior league, 25% than we have playing the game overall, which is 24%. So, so that's encouraging. But again, I look to get that number to 50% <laughs> to have girls playing the game. But you know, the boys and girls play from the same tee. They, they know each other as golfers. It's, it's not gender-based. And I think that's exciting for the prospects of the game uh, because many of the boys that play on my team want the girls as their partners. <laughs> uh, sometimes they tend to hit it pretty far and uh, they're more focused and uh, they keep everybody organized. And certainly that's a huge generalization. But um, we have uh, boys and girls on our teams that, that that's what they are. They're teammates and they support each other, good and bad. And for us, it's a program that we do see growing the game in the future. And 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 just on a personal note, what what I love about it is when when a young lady goes to a tee in college that's played junior league golf, there will be no intimidation factor of playing the game, whether it be with three women or three men. Um, and the same for for the boys that are playing. You know, as they grow up into young men and adults, uh, they'll be accustomed to seeing really great golf by by women. And I think that really bodes well for the game. Really well said. Other than the junior golf initiative, other than junior golf initiatives, what has been the best method, maybe program league to get women involved in the game on a national level? Yeah, I you know Get Golf Ready has been incredibly successful for us. And uh, it's really the, the key to that program is the retention. The people who play through Get Golf Ready or learn through Get Golf Ready or who are returning to golf through Get Golf Ready. And it's about 66% of those that participate in Get Golf Ready are women. So men also participate in Get Golf Ready. But we see about an 87% retention rate. And that's exciting uh, for the game, that this particular way of learning is really giving people the skills they need to feel compelled and, and feel uh, good enough about their skills to maybe participate in a corporate event or to go play three, six, nine holes with friends or family. Uh, to go to the range on their own and, and keep playing and getting equipment and, and feeling good about that. So Get Golf Ready has been extremely successful. We also have PGA professionals across the country that really run their own programming that's very similar to Get Golf Ready. Um, that's introductory programs for anyone who wants to play the game, and those obviously are incredibly successful as well. Other than some of these initiatives, what specifically is in the PGA's plans to make sure that the women's game grows over the next five to ten years? Because I know that that's a very important part of the uh, of the overall growth of the game is is the women's growth. Yeah, and in our in our learning curriculum and in our programming for all PGA professionals and our continuing education, as well as our PGM program, which is for uh, those that are starting in the business and and coming through our membership uh, to become a member. You know, we have education in place that really makes those value statements, the why people are coming to your golf course, the how, what's going to happen, and, and really the what once they get there, what that, that's going to be. And so we're constantly striving to give our professionals uh, as many skills as we possibly can uh, to help them with their marketing, their communication, uh, their ability to really sell uh, and to showcase what they offer to a community, and then what golf offers to those people that are participating in that. And that's really going to be our key. Um, you know, golf is an athletic endeavor, but certainly anyone can play the game. And we're a sport that you can play amongst multi-generations. It's outside, it's healthy, uh, your 
burning calories when you walk. It's social. Uh, you can use it for business. We have all the characteristics that many people are looking for in outside activities. Um, but we need to make sure that we're offering those activities in a manner that resonates uh, with the people that are looking to go find an activity to do with their family or with their friends. And in that situation, we really haven't done a lot at the PGA of America prior to the last couple of years in really showcasing through our player development workshops um, the skills that we need to really get the, the message to the people that are out there. And so what what we're doing at the PGA of America is really marketing that. We, we are showcasing the talents of our PGA professionals through programming like Thank, you know, Thanks PGA Pro that you saw all last year. We really want to get the word out that uh, uh, golf is fun and enjoyable and amazing when a PGA professional uh, helps you on your journey. And that's really what we're striving to do. The KPMG PGA Women's Championship has been very successful in its own right, and the Women's Leadership Conference is probably one of the highlights of the year for so many people that get to attend it and listen to these fabulous women. Is there any part of the tournament in particular that you want to improve on, possibly? Well, the, our partnership with KPMG and with the LPGA has just been tremendous, and that event showcases the best female athletes in golf in the world on primetime television for a purse that. Uh, they should be playing for. And so in that light, we are incredibly proud to be a part of that partnership and to really show the world that the PGA of America um, really thinks women's golf is not only important, uh, but it's something that we feel uh, should be on our championship list. And, and that for me is really exciting as an officer and a leader to be a part of that. Uh, there, you know, our, our key, key themes in the uh, KPMG Women's PGA Championship is inspiring greatness. And whenever you're looking to inspire greatness or empower anyone in any endeavor, you're always looking for how you can improve and how you can do things better. And for us, we've had amazing staff. We've had uh, the opportunity to showcase these women on national television. And I would tell you the improvement that I would love to see is to get the world to pay attention and watch. <laughs> yeah, we agree. <laughs> because... Because I think, you know, when they, you know, you look at the Solheim Cup that just recently occurred and the level of golf uh, that was at that particular performance. You look at our KPMG championship from 2017. Um, you look at our leaders, our, you know, Daniel Kang uh, winning and, and doing it in a fashion that was just tremendous. Their skill level is so high so exciting to watch that we find when we get people to tune in and come out and watch, they're addicted. They're hooked, and women's golf is something that they follow uh, for for years to come. Um, it's just a matter of getting people to really understand that that particular game, you know, the men are hitting it just an obscene distance at this <laughs> point. Um, and, you know, and the women are as well. You know, they're longer and, and hitting it farther. But oftentimes I share with my clients and, and my students that I coach you can learn so much watching the women's game. Uh, their swing speeds range from anywhere from 90 to 110 miles an hour, some obviously more than that, um, but very comparable to, to quite a few uh, swing speeds that we coach. And, and rarely are you going to see a 190-mile-an-hour ball speed you know, for the women's tour, uh, but you're going to see a ball speed that's comparable to those that play the game um, on a daily basis. Now, obviously, these women hit it straighter <laughs> and make more putts, um, but but certainly, I always uh, really want my students, uh, my young males, my my collegiate males, my my average amateur golfer that just loves to play on the weekend, whether they be female or male, 
to watch the women's game because their finesse around the greens, their skills, their 50-yard shot that they're going to have far more often on a par five than you perhaps would see on the men's tour now where they're hitting it in two. Um, it's something that they may be experiencing during their rounds and really can take a lot away from that. So for us, uh, we just we just want people to support it and we want people to realize that these women uh, are the athleticism and the games they have. And I just would love to see domestic uh, viewership increase on all digital components for that particular. I think we would all love to see that. And there's so many great role models too, like Lexi Thompson, who is obviously a supporter of PGA Junior League. It's, it's great to see the amount of role models, especially in the American women's game. Yeah, I mean, we could go. There's just such a lengthy list of that in the American's women game. It's so exciting. And then the up and coming, you know, the Symmetra Tour just released its 10 uh, women who will be joining the LPGA, a fantastic list up and comers, um, which is so exciting. And then you've got the collegiate game here in the United States that's so incredibly impressive. So, I mean, golf is just growing and it's growing because of partners like KPMG. And, you know, we just look to uh, really make that event the showcase of women's golf. Let's talk quickly about the the role of the PGA professional. And uh, I think talking to a lot of PGA professionals around the country, um, the, the role has changed over the years. You wear a lot more hats when you're a head golf professional. And also, people kind of take non-traditional routes, it seems, a lot, um, whether that be a sales representative or maybe uh, teaching at a place like Golf Tech. There are a lot of different routes that PGA professionals can take and are kind of embracing. What are some of the ways the PGA can kind of uh, embrace those PGA professionals that um, they're not necessarily interested in going down the traditional path of being being a head professional? Yeah, you know, it's so spot on because even in our recruitment efforts, you know, I find that when I'm talking to people about the opportunities the PGA of America offers within the business of the game, um, you know, most people will go straight to either instruction, merchandising, or or working at a facility uh, in, in a golf shop, for example, all of those being, you know, perfect choices. I'm a coach and a teacher, and, and I love what I do. Um, but certainly far beyond that is who our PGA professionals are around the country. We have 29,000 PGA professionals, each of whom has their own role at the facilities where they work. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, sales representative for manufacturers, we have people in finance that are PGA professionals, communications, IT, well, they're in instruction, uh, executive management, ownership. Um, so there's just so many opportunities uh, within the game that perhaps um, those that are young that are looking to get in the game aren't aware of, uh, especially those that play at a collegiate level or at a high level. Um, I find often that when, especially when I'm talking to young women who are looking to play the game professionally, and I ask them, you know, if if, if you're, the professional tour route doesn't work out for you, what, you know, have you thought about what you might want to do? And many of them will say, well, you know, I'm not really looking to teach. And I always say, well, you know, there's far more opportunities than that in the PGA, including media and broadcast and, and uh, accounting, I, as I said before, IT. Um, and they really are surprised to hear that. So I think it's us getting the word out. It's us educating uh, many that there are so many opportunities within the business of the game, um, including management, that uh, we, will, we will be really successful having those opportunities for, for all. Many different things that PGA professionals can do. So uh, there's, it's not just instruction or, or just uh, being a head professional. So very, very well said. Let's kind of shift our attention for a second. Talk about the job that, that Paul Levy has done so far and, and how his work will kind of make your transition to being president maybe, maybe a little bit smoother. 
Yeah, you know, and I, I never want to speak for Paul, but mm-hmm. I would tell you, I believe that that all of us feel the same way. It's it's more of a team effort than than one person. And and Paul, as the leader uh, of that team, has done a tremendous job. We have 21 board members. Uh, we have an incredible staff at PGA headquarters, uh, which is based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. And really, our, our job as a board of directors is to set the strategic vision uh, for the PGA of America and staff helps us accomplish that as each one of us on the board have our own jobs as well, <laughs> as you're well aware. So, um, you know, managing both of those is difficult, but Paul has done a tremendous job. He's ma- we've made great strides in the employment arena. Um, we really want to showcase, as we said earlier um, during our conversation, that it's, it's critically important um, that we showcase the skill, talent, and education that professionals have gone through to achieve the levels where they are so that employers value that and understand that and what comes along with that and how PGA professionals can be the each and every property um, that offers the game, whether it be an executive management, F&B, whether it be just the golf course, or as you said earlier, whether it be in communication and membership. So, you know, we're really working very hard to identify with that through staff and through our sections. Our sections locally are our best conduit to really showcasing the talents of the PGA professionals that are within those sections. And uh, we're excited about some of the opportunities that are coming in the future uh, in that employment space. We're also upping the education process. Um, We're going to work really hard on making sure we're giving our members uh, what they value and what they think is important for the jobs that they're in. Uh, So we're working hard on that. And then, of course, player development. We are always working to grow the game as our mission is to grow the game and serve our members. So our player development department with Drive Chip and Putt, PGA Junior League, PGA Junior Camps. We're working uh, with the Olympic Committee on an American development model. So we have a lot on our plates, uh, but excited about what the future holds, thanks to the leadership of Paul. Um, we've seen a lot of recent shifts. The USGA adding some events, you know, the Latin America um, Championship, the Four Ball Championships, while going away with some others, such as the State Team Championship. Um, any opportunities for the PGA to add events in the women's game? Yeah, you know, we look at our PGA, and it's a great question. And, um, you know, I had to see the state uh, championship go away. My mm-hmm. niece played in that this year and loved it, and I had some of my students play in that. So they really loved it. But um, understandably, uh, they have, you know, other focuses currently that they're working on as well. And I thought maybe one day that event will come back. But for us at the PGA of America, we're about our whole membership. It's not necessarily necessarily male female we are pga professionals and you know i always tell people i'm a pga professional i think it's pretty obvious i'm a woman <laughs> i don't have to say i'm a woman um and i just say that i'm a pga professional and in that light we we, we have our championships uh that allow women and men to compete together at a section level um and but we do offer uh female and male events so certainly we have our winter series women's stroke play championship which is in port st lucie um the men have their stroke play championship there um it, it's not as attended as we would like it to be and and i hope we have more that come and participate in that um it's you know time of year it could be for some facilities that they can't get away but i would like to see that event grow and really put some of our focus toward growing that event and then certainly within our sections i would love to see more women participate in our section events. And um, I know all the sections are working very hard to create an atmosphere that offers a little bit for everyone. So for example, uh, pro-ams or match play events or events that uh, where they can um, not necessarily have to focus independently on their own score, but much like PGA Junior League does. And I hope that that will get more men and more women out 
to participate and play the game because I am 100% behind the fact that as a PGA professional, it's our responsibility to play the game at a high level and to keep our games up at a high level. And I, I try to do that myself. I still play competitively. I love to challenge myself on the golf course. I like trying to keep my game in shape. And I think it's important as a PGA professional that we all strive to do that and, and participate in our section tournaments. For our last topic, two more questions. We want to talk, talk a little bit about the upcoming schedule change and how some of the PGA events factor into that. First, the PGA Championship will be moving to May. What is the likelihood that some of the parts of this country, Florida, for example, will host as a host as in years to come? <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying. Not gonna, I'm not going to single out Florida. <laughs> I will tell you that. Um, in, in the process, it was a very, actually a very lengthy process, and our board um, discussed this opportunity for, for longer than just uh, what was reported in the media. And uh, we really went through all the due diligence of the pros, the cons, the challenges uh, of moving, the challenges of not moving. And uh, when we did a study, we did a pretty intricate study, Carrie Haig as our chief championships officer, uh, on really sites around the country that could possibly be impacted by the move. And we found that, that very few areas of the country uh, were really impacted in a manner that wouldn't allow us to be there. We're still going to Oak Hill. We're still going to Bethpage. In fact, uh, we went to Bethpage the same time of the year look at the conditions of the golf course and the conditions of the golf course uh, according to the superintendent were actually better uh, in May hmm. uh, than they would have been in August so we were encouraged that and and certainly excited to hear from the superintendent that that was in fact the case so you know we we, we understand there are going to be certain parts of the country that uh, certainly like uh, perhaps Buffalo <laughs> oh man come on I mean, we'll still be under snow, so it's fine. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know, for us, it, it does open an opportunity in other areas of the country, the southeast, uh, you know, really the southwest, uh, places that we've never had an opportunity to really look at or go to. And, and we're excited about that. In, uh, and we'll see what's to come. You know, we, we haven't planned anything out what's been announced, but um, we're excited to look at that. We're excited to have the championship in May. Uh, we like the cadence of the golf calendar uh, now as it sits, uh, which is exciting. It's exciting for golf fans. Uh, and I think it also gives us an incredible opportunity to promote our professionals uh, before many of their seasons start. Now, you know, there are obviously – Florida, uh, Arizona, their seasons are in the winter, and I understand that. But for a lot of our PGA professionals, their seasons start really in the end of April, May. And this gives us an opportunity as we run up to the PGA Championship to really highlight programming and, and national opportunities and section programming that our PGA professionals are looking to grow and gives us a chance to do that uh, on a national, on a national broad-based audience. Susie, with the PGA Championship moving to May, that kind of means the PGA Professional Championship will go back to April. And that kind of limits, it, it would seem on the surface at least, some of the places that we could go to. Um, I was up at Sun River this past June, and uh, that was a, a tremendous venue, so beautiful up there. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like, according to the locals at least, they probably would not be able to host it during you know April or, or during that time of the year because they'd get too much snow to be able to do it. Um, is it is it kind of hard having to uh, narrow the the focus for uh, for the PGA Professional Championship and take away some of the places where they you, you could do the venue? 
You know, our member championships are incredibly important to us. And uh, Carrie and Mark and uh, David, they've done a lot of research on this as well prior to us moving to May. And and to your point, there are going to be some facilities or perhaps we've hosted that in the past that we won't be able to go to. Um, but we're excited about some of the facilities we have an opportunity to go to now. Mm-hmm. And and while that, for some, you know, if you if you loved uh, being there and played great there, of course, as a player, you're, you're going to feel a little angst about not having a chance to be there. But it also gives us a chance to other sections in the country. It gives us a chance to showcase uh, what our professionals can do uh, around the country. And, and we're excited for that. And, and we are ensuring that that member championship just gets just as much attention as it deserves on, a, on beautiful venues uh, that it deserves. With challenges come opportunities, right? There's always new opportunity. Always, always new opportunity. You know, I just wish one of these years I'd qualify. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna keep working at it. I keep working at it. <laughs> All right, Susie, that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. We really enjoyed that. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, and thanks for always covering PGA Professionals. You know, we love what we do. We're passionate about it, and uh, we're always trying to get more people out to our golf courses. Thanks again to Susie Whaley for joining us on the postcast this week. That was absolutely an awesome, incredible interview, and I hope every one of our listeners enjoyed it. And that's all the time we have left on our postcast this week. Please follow us on our social media including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Global Golf Post and you'll be able to find us. Also, if you have any topics you'd like for us to discuss, tweet at us or leave us a comment on Facebook. Until next time, for Sean and I, I'm straight. See you later.